Welcome back, Giants fans. So today we're going to talk about the Tyrod Taylor signing with the Giants. I was going to make a video yesterday, but yesterday just happened to be a very busy day. Probably one of the busiest days I've had in a while. Of course, it happens on some pretty big news for the Giants, but I did get to see Kyrie Irving drop 60 last night. That was cool. But now we're going to talk about Tyrod Taylor going to the Giants on a two-year contract for $11 million, $6 million in incentives. It could be up to $17 million, of course. So it's not much of a surprise. I mean, the tweets were coming out about the Giants looking for a backup mobile quarterback. And Joe Shane has said in the past he's going to pay up for a backup quarterback. He thinks it's one of the more important positions out there. He had a quote a couple months ago saying, I think backup quarterback is one of the more important positions in the league. So with that mindset, it's not really a surprise that the Giants wanted to spend, I don't want to say big, but spend more than I think most teams would for a backup quarterback. Now, my preference was Marcus Mariota here. I mean, I figured Mitch Trubisky was going to be the guy. He goes to the Steelers. Then I figured, oh, I like Marcus Mariota, but maybe he costs too much. They were, I guess, rumored to be in contact with guys like Jacoby Brissett, Case Keenum, and somebody else I'm forgetting now. But Tyrod Taylor was, you know, on that next tier for me. It was Marcus Mariota, Mitch Trubisky, and then a tier below you had Tyrod Taylor. But, you know, Tyrod's a proven veteran in this league. He's been a starter for a few years in Buffalo. And he's fine. He's not going to be great. I think we know what we're getting here, but this is the first time we've had real quarterback competition in New York in a long time. I mean, I guess maybe 2019, if you want to consider that. I don't, but we knew it was Eli's team to start week one. Anyway, but this is a real quarterback competition. Now, I do think Daniel Jones ultimately is the starter week one, unless, you know, his neck is not healed or something like that. But really, it's Daniel Jones's job to lose. But there's different reactions from the fan base about this contract. There's people saying, why the hell would you spend up on a backup quarterback? He's not going to play. And then you have people saying, well, Daniel Jones, we need insurance because he gets injured often and he has not proven to be a franchise quarterback. So why not get a good backup quarterback? And I see both sides of it. I'm somewhere in the middle. Of course, you don't want to pay a guy a lot of money to ride the bench and hold a clipboard. But at the same time, it is the most important position on the football field, maybe the most important position in all of sports. So I get it from that perspective. I get where Joe Shane is coming from. And looking at the contract closely, it's not that bad. I try to pay attention to cap hits and when they can get out of the contract. It's a $2.7 million cap hit this first year. Then it's 6.9 next year. So next year is like the big hit. So it's a $6.9 million cap hit in 2023. Dead cap hit of 5.5 million dollars. And that's, you know, the bad part about it. So Tyrod Taylor is most likely, unless he's traded, going to be a giant for the next two years. But it's not a bad situation because I think ultimately most of us realize Daniel Jones is probably not going to be the long-term answer at quarterback for the Giants. So let's say let's say Daniel Jones plays out 2022, which he most likely will, whether he gets injured or, you know, is decent, not so good, the Giants may move on after this year. And who better to mentor a possible rookie quarterback in 2023, which the Giants may go that route next year, than Tyrod Taylor. So at least the Giants would already have Tyrod Taylor under contract if they were to draft a quarterback in two drafts from now, in 2023. We've seen Tyrod Taylor be a mentor for Baker Mayfield, who had a good rookie year. Justin Herbert, who had a tremendous rookie year. So we've seen this happen before with Tyrod Taylor. So let's look at Tyrod's recent seasons. Last year, he was in Houston. Davis Mills started about half the games for them. 
But Tyrod started out the year. He had a great week one, I remember, against Jacksonville. He was probably like the MVP after week one, if I remember correctly. But on the season, he wasn't that great. You know, a 2-4 and four record. It was a crappy team. 60% completion percentage, five touchdowns, five interceptions. So that's not what you want to see in a 76 quarterback rating. Only played one game. Well, he played two technically, but had one start in 2020. That was the weird year where Tyrod Taylor started week one at Cincinnati. They won that game like 9-6, if I remember correctly. Um, and then... And of course, Tyrod Taylor gets like his rib broken or something, or maybe his lung punctured, I don't know, by a trainer on the Chargers. That was a very weird situation. Justin Herbert comes in, plays tremendous, and he's the starter the rest of the year. The year before that, he was Phillip Rivers' backup, didn't play much. year before that, Cleveland 2018, he started the year for them, played the first two games. Then he got like a concussion, I believe, in week three, that Thursday night football game versus the Jets. Baker Mayfield comes in. He's the starter the rest of the year. So Tyrod Taylor's had a lot of unfortunate events in the last few years of being a backup quarterback. Now... 2015 to 2017 is when he's received his most playing time. He's played over 14 games for a three-game stretch here, and he went seven and six, seven and eight, and eight and six. Had a playoff appearance in 2017 with the Buffalo Bills, and he had pretty respectable seasons. I mean, in 2017, a 62 completion percentage, almost 2,800 passing yards, 14 touchdowns, four interceptions. That's not that bad. I mean, it's not like, you know, Tyrod Taylor, of course, is a more conservative quarterback for the most part, does not put the ball in harm's way as compared to some other quarterbacks, but a 14-4 touchdown-interception ratio, not bad at all. Then in 2016, the year prior, they go 7-8. He had a 61 completion percentage, over 3,000 passing uh, yards, 17 passing touchdowns, 6 interceptions, another pretty good season there from Tyrod. And then the year before that, it was a year he made the Pro Bowl, if that matters. They went 7 and or he went seven and six, had a 63 completion percentage, over 3,000 passing yards once again, a career high 20 passing touchdowns, and only six interceptions. So Tyrod Taylor's done it before. Now he has not been a full time starter since he's been 28 years old, but at the same time, like Tyrod has been there before. He's played in that tough weather in Buffalo, so MetLife Stadium should not be a big deal to him. But at the same time, you know what Tyrod's giving you a mobile quarterback, decent pocket awareness. He can extend plays. He can, you know, make plays with his legs, basically. And he's a pretty accurate passer in the, you know, intermediate game, I, I would say. But when you're going deep, you know, deep balls, Tyra Taylor is not the most accurate quarterback on deep balls. He's not that great under pressure. There's flaws to his game. But Tyra Taylor, for the most part, is a solid backup quarterback. He's, I would say, one of the top 10 backup quarterbacks in the NFL right now. So once again, in the event that Daniel Jones happens to get hurt next year or just play like crap, the Giants won't be in that situation of, oh, we got to go to Mike Lennon. We got to go to Jake Fromm. They can look at Tyrod Taylor and go, hey, if you got to play four straight games, six straight games, 10 straight games, whatever the hell it is, and play for an extended period of time, Tyrod Taylor can keep the Giants afloat in a way. They may be a 500 team, you know, at, at best, but at the same time, they won't be unwatchable. <laughs> at least Tyrod Taylor will put the Giants in a decent position to succeed and win games, assuming the Giants at least play well around him. It really depends on that. Tyrod Taylor's not going to carry your team, of course, but if the Giants get a decent offensive line, if the weapons stay healthy, if the defense plays well, you know, Tyrod Taylor can keep you in games. He's not going to win you games most times, but he'll keep you in games. That's the more important part as compared to a Mike Glennon, 
who really could not keep you in games, and same goes for Jake Fromm and his limited action last year. But yeah, looking at the contract, and I'm definitely not like a contract expert, I'm not Kevin Abrams over here, but just looking at the contract for his second year, I mean, the Giants are basically, as I mentioned, committed to him for two years, and I don't know if that says a lot for Daniel Jones. I mean, the Giants, of course, may look at Jones as that stopgap type guy. They may not take him seriously. I have no idea what's going to happen there. I, I do think Daniel Jones's fate is simple. Either he plays really well this year and is no doubt a top half quarterback in the league, maybe even top 10, you know, that might have to really convince himself to stay long term. Or Daniel Jones does not play at that level and he's gone next year. That's, that's pretty much how it's going to go. Either Daniel Jones plays at a very high level and stays and probably gets franchise tagged, or he just does not play that well, and then he's gone. But Tyrod Taylor is, at minimum, going to be the Giants' backup quarterback in 2023. I would think, based on this contract, like why would you get rid of him if his cap hit is $7 million, basically, and you're only saving about $1.5 million and taking a $5.5 million dead cap hit to release Tyrod Taylor after this year? That would make no sense. So, it's a pretty decent investment for a backup quarterback, but once again, it's not a bad one. Do I love the contract? No, but like at the same time, I don't look at this and freak out about it and go, oh my God, how can Joe Shane spend that much money for a backup quarterback? It's such a stupid investment. No, because as I said, Daniel Jones, I think has been hurt for what, four straight years now, right? NFL, three years, college, I think his collarbone was uh, his last year at Duke. I mean, we're talking about four straight years of not playing a full season. So if I were a betting man, I would say, yeah, Tyrod Taylor is going to see the field next year in the regular season. But, you know, we, we can't predict Daniel Jones's health. We don't know about his neck injury. Yes, he should be fine, but we're not entirely sure. So you might as well put yourself in a position where, OK, well, if the worst, you know, worst case scenario happens, Daniel Jones is not cleared for contact by September next year or whatever happens, you have Tyrod Taylor on the roster. So, like, you're doing okay. It's not a great situation. I don't want to say the Giants are in quarterback hell, although they may be trending that way in the future. I don't know. But you're at least putting yourself in a position where you have a competent quarterback in Tyrod Taylor. So, no, I don't hate it. I don't love it. But you're pretty much getting what you're getting from Tyrod Taylor. We pretty much know what we're getting here. I'm going to be interested to see how he does in Brian Dable's offense. Brian Dable's offense brought out the best in Josh Allen. Josh Allen and Tyrod Taylor are nowhere near each other in terms of talent. But we saw the crossing routes, the drag routes, how easy that offense was for Josh Allen. Sometimes, you know, an offensive coordinator can work wonders for a quarterback. Look at you know, Pat Shermer compared to Jason Garrett, how much better Daniel Jones was with Pat Shermer. Not saying Pat Shermer was excellent, but he was a lot better than Jason Garrett and definitely played to the strengths of Daniel Jones. So I don't think Daniel Jones's job is in jeopardy or is in a real threat right now. As long as Daniel Jones has a decent camp, a decent preseason, he should be the guy because Daniel Jones, at least with Daniel Jones, there's some unknown there. He's 24, 25, three years in the NFL, two with an awful offensive coordinator, promise, showed promise his rookie year. There's still some like stuff unknown about Daniel Jones. Maybe he does stink. I don't know. But there's also a chance where Daniel Jones in this Brian Dable offense, you're like, oh, well, this guy's actually not that bad. So there's a chance that happens. But Tyrod Taylor, who's been on so many different teams, so many different systems, schemes, and has been in the league for so many years, you're like, oh, all right, we know who Tyrod Taylor is. At least with Daniel Jones, there is that slight unknown of what he might be able to be. And there's some people watching this video that 
may say, Mike, we know Daniel Jones sucks. Stop trying to say this. But I'm just saying, it's it's possible. Look, you guys know I'm not high on Daniel Jones, but even I recognize there he's been in a very crappy situation in the past couple of years. And maybe, just maybe, he has a really good year with Brian Dable. I don't know. We'll see what happens there. Anyway, some other news. The Giants re-signed Casey Kreider, the long snapper. I actually had an opportunity to talk to him um, on an interview when I was with Empire Sports Media. He was a great guy, so I'm happy to see him back. I don't remember him being bad, so that's a fine re-sign in my opinion. I wanted to briefly touch on the Saquon Barkley stuff. So I mentioned it in the past, of course, and you know we see the arguments about should the Giants trade Saquon all the time, but to me, it's a pretty simple answer here. I mean, if you can get anything decent for Saquon Barkley, I'm not talking like second round pick or even third round pick. I'm at the point where I would take a fourth round pick. And some of you may hate me for saying that. But let me ask you this. What is Saquon Barkley's future with the, uh, the New York Giants? I just don't see it. I, I just don't understand because it's just a lose-lose scenario. Let's say the Giants hold on to Saquon Barkley this year and he gets injured and decreases his value even more. He walks for nothing, right? A team might give him a decent uh, size contract, but if Saquon Barkley is injured for, that would be four straight years at that point, I highly doubt a team would give Saquon Barkley a ton of money if he can't stay healthy. So that's like, you know, scenario number one. Let's say scenario number two, Saquon Barkley, you know, balls out, 1,300 rushing yards, seven, not 700 receiving, 500 receiving yards, you know, 14 total touchdowns. The guy has a great season. You're going to be in a position where you have to pay a running back a long-term contract. And I ask you guys, I've said this years ago when we drafted Saquon, when's the last time a running back long-term contract worked out? And you can make the Derrick Henry argument, but even he missed more than half the year this year. The Titans have not made it past the, I think, AFC Championship game, maybe the uh, divisional round, I forget. But of course, they're not a Super Bowl caliber team. You know, it's just the Christian McCaffrey contract looks bad. The Ezekiel Elliott contract's horrendous. Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell. It's like every time you see these running backs get extended, it just does not go well. It's like it's like the writing's on the wall. And I do think these GMs are savvy about it. And Joe Shane has talked about positional value in the past. And for those who don't know, positional value is basically just valuing other positions over other positions, right? I feel like that's the best way I can say it. So for some people, myself included, running back is very low on that list because running back, in my opinion, and some other people's opinions is very reliant on the offensive line, the quarterback, the play caller, um, blocking, all that stuff, right? So Saquon Barkley, we've known, is a ridiculous talent. But if the Giants don't have the blocking in front of him and the right play caller and put him in the right position, then he's not worth paying, you know, 13, 14 million dollars per year if you're not going to use them the right way and put them in the best environment to succeed. So that's what makes Saquon Barkley's 2018 rookie season so tremendous. I mean, you know, of course, he had so many highlights, but the fact that he's had not that great of an offensive line, a declining Eli Manning, you know, a play caller in Pat Shermer who's okay, but he just made something out of nothing in most cases. But Saquon Barkley, I feel like at this point in his career, and I'm not saying he's fallen off that much, I think Saquon can still return to about 90% of the player he used to be back from his rookie year. But at this point, he does need a better environment. It's tough to be a great running back when you're running behind um, you know, guys like, trying to think who we had last year, Will Hernandez, who had a down year, Billy Price, Ben Bredesen, Matt Skura. It, it's, you know, tough to really, you know, do anything in that environment as a running back. So for me, I just don't see a scenario where the Giants make out well by keeping Saquon Barkley. 
And if you trade him right now, I think it clears $7.2 million on the cap. So that would be a good, you know, good thing, of course. They can sign another another impact player somewhere, whether it be a, a wide receiver, a tight end. They can, you know, allocate that $7.2 million and put it to another position group. And we've seen in the, in the past, guys, like if you don't believe me, the Giants run game with Wayne Gallman, Alfred Morris was fine. The Giants run game um, still survived despite Saquon Barkley not being healthy. Remember Devontae Booker last year? Devontae Booker is just, you know, in, in fantasy football, they call it a jag, which is just a guy. That's what Devontae Booker is. He's just a guy. He's a fine running back, but just a guy. And he outperformed Saquon Barkley on a, you know, touch-by-touch basis or touch-per-touch basis last year. So that's not a knock on Saquon Barkley. It's just saying, like, Devontae Booker was just some dude we signed in free agency, 28, 29-year-old running back, and he outperformed the second overall pick Saquon Barkley and sure it's not fair Saquon was hurt last year I feel like it took him like a month or so to really get back to what he was but you know Saquon did not have a single run over like 50 or 60 yards last year he has just not been the same guy and I just think the Giants I think for the Giants it makes all the sense in the world to get rid of him now like the Giants are not competing for a Super Bowl this year what's the point you know get give give yourself that seven million dollars to spend elsewhere and improve the team in other areas you don't need to have Saquon Barkley and I just don't think it's going to end well like why why hang on to him at this point you know and you can make the argument like he can play the first five six weeks this year build up his trade value then trade him but the chances of getting something great in season for him I feel like is not as great as it is as it would be right now I'm sure a team would rather get their hands on a Saquon Barkley now and kind of build the offense around him in a way rather than trading for him in week five next year so I don't know to me it just makes the most sense to trade him and obviously you guys know I'm not like the biggest Saquon Barkley fan in terms of like where he was drafted and how much we had to spend on him and all that crap but I do realize the guy's a great player he's a great guy great teammate it just you know I always have the Giants best interest in mind I just don't think it makes the most sense in the world to have a long-term commitment to Saquon Barkley if he happens to have a good year in 2022. And I think Joe Shane knows that as well. So I'm not really mentally worried about it, but I just, I'm just telling you guys for the video's sake, in my opinion, it just makes more sense to move on right now. So that's pretty much going to do it. We talked about Tyrod, talked about Casey Kreider for five seconds, talked about the Saquon situation. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else there could be out there. I mean, I'm trying to think like the Giants, I feel like don't have that much more money to spend this offseason. We may add a couple extra depth guys here in there, but we're more focused on the draft right now. And speaking of draft, I definitely have to go watch some draft prospects. I've been so bad on that this year. Like in the past, the past five, six drafts, I've been so into it. This year, I'm kind of just like, whatever. Like I'm just kind of kicking back and I'm like not even focused on watching these prospects, but I definitely want to, you know, watch these guys and formulate my own opinions and kind of share them with you guys. And um, we'll talk about it because, you know, we have the fifth pick and the seventh pick. I actually wanted to go over this. We have a bunch of picks this year. I actually took a screenshot of how many picks we have this year. So the Giants have pick five, pick seven, pick 36 in round two, pick 67 in round three, pick 81 in round three, pick 112 in round four, pick 147 in round five, pick 173 in uh, round five, and pick number 182 in round six. You can really turn a team around. If they hit big on this draft, which you can't expect to hit on every single pick here, but let's say pick number five, pick number seven, pick number 36, pick number 81, 112 are all impact players. That's five guys right there on rookie contracts that can really set you up for the future. This is a pivotal, very pivotal draft for the Giants, and hopefully Joe Shane gets it right. We'll find out what happens there. Anyway, that's going to do it. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the video, and I will talk to you guys next time.